Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, April 1st. I'm Desiree Frazier, and for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the new education budget closes the funding gap for the MAEP. We hear from the Senate Education Committee chair. And how the pandemic is causing a drop in routine vaccinations for school-aged children. Then, in our book club, Stories from Natchez, in Richard Grant's latest book, the deepest south of all. Plus, the arrival of spring usually brings visitors to the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We examine how the region fared last vacation season as the new one approaches. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's been a good year for education. Those sentiments were shared this week by chairs of both the House and Senate Education Committees as lawmakers passed the state's K-12 education budget. The bill includes a variety of spending provisions, including a teacher pay raise, increased funds for classrooms, and math coaches in high-need areas. Senator Dennis DeBar chairs the Senate Education Committee. He tells our Ashley Norwood the budget increased year over year and closed the funding gap for the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. It was a very good year for education, uh, $102 million or a 4% uh, increase over uh, last year. The majority of that was, or half of that, was the teacher pay raise, you know, teacher pay raise, $1,000, teacher assistance as well. Uh, we've also plussed up early learning collaboratives, another $8.2 million to bring it to $16 million. Uh, increased uh, teacher supply fund, uh, classroom supply fund, another $8 million. It'll increase each teacher's uh, amount of roughly $270, up to $675 in total. Put uh, $5 million into math coaches. You know, we have critical teacher shortage areas, and, and math is one of those subject areas that uh, our state is lacking in, and so we're putting money in to help districts uh, improve their math scores. Um, we're putting money into CTE. We have a new grant program of about a million dollars. Uh, we plussed up, um, you know, all the schools to help them 
um, fill some gaps. Uh, we've got um, $25 million in lottery money, which we use widely to fill in those gaps. Uh, we're treating it as one-time revenue just because the lottery may fluctuate every year. We're not certain we'll reach this amount next year. Uh, so we held back about $10 million just to make sure we're covered for next year. Uh, we've done a lot of good things uh, besides that, just beside the budget. You know, the, the teacher reciprocity bill was big, and that's going to help teachers come to our state. And so we're trying to help reduce our critical teacher shortage in our state uh, and improve um, teachers, uh, make it more motivational to stay in the system, to come here and, and be here, and we're helping uh, raise the bar for educational standards across the board. So the um, the increase, the, the money that's funding this budget, is it one-time money, or uh, do you expect us to continue to increase on the education budget? Well, the lottery, you just never know because, you know, a lot of different factors go into that. You know, Alabama, you know, doesn't have a lottery yet. If they were, to, should they pass a lottery, um, that would probably have an effect on Mississippi. Um, but the sales tax revenue is slowly staying steady and increasing. That affects... Um, our EEF funding, um, that has been continuing to increase, and that includes sales tax and use tax and other money. Uh, and don't forget the, the Department of Education is going to receive uh, about a billion dollars, $1.1 billion, with our ESSER 1, 2, and 3 money that has coming in. And so um, that was uh, in that budget this year. So that's probably going to be one-time money. Uh, we can't count on that in the next few years. Um, but... Um, right now, while we're receiving that, we need to plug the holes, fix the systems, and, and that, that way we can count on reoccurring revenue as we go forward. Um, our MAEP number, um, you know, we're still underfunded, but, you know, if we didn't pass the hold harmless, ADA hold harmless this year, you know, our underfunding amount would have been about $179 million, and that's... In my recollection, I've been up here 10 years. That's probably the lowest amount uh, I've seen. Now it may have been higher slowly, but that's, to my recollection, that's the lowest it's been. And if we can continue to close that gap while still maintaining and plussing up the other areas that have need, that's going to be uh, that'll be really good, obviously. I'm glad you addressed that um, because, you know, that's, that's, that's a question every session. You know, can we fully fund MAP? Can we yeah. fully fund it? But what you're saying is, you're seeing that that gap is closing. The, the gap is closing, but you know we're using one-time money to help close that gap. Um, hopefully, revenue maintains itself, and we can continue to do that. Um, you know, but you know we're trying to get there. That was uh, that was my goal when I came in last year to increase teachers' pay, uh, increase the satisfaction for teachers, and, and actually wanting to stay in and not retire and move to a different state or, or whatever. And then close that gap on MAEP. Unless there's anything else you want to add, uh, Senator. Well, I just want to thank uh, you know my chairman Bennett on the House side for working with us. We we have a plan. And we're we're trying to execute that plan um, because we we appreciate the teachers. And we teach appreciate all the educators out throughout the state working through the pandemic, working through these difficult and times that they're going through, and uh, the parents and the children who you know, are just trying to get an education for their kids or for themselves. And, you know, uh, I appreciate them so much and all the hard work that they've done and will continue to do. Thank you so much, Senator right. Barr. Thank you.
Coming up, how the pandemic is causing a drop in routine vaccinations for school-aged children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Pediatricians in Mississippi are encouraging parents to bring children in for checkups and vaccinations for preventable diseases. Thousands of children in Mississippi are behind on their vaccinations, according to Dr. Anita Henderson with the Mississippi chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. She tells our Kobe Vance the pandemic has played a role in the decline, but ensures it's safe to bring kids back to the doctor's office. During the the pandemic of 2020, we found that um, over 10 million doses of vaccines were not ordered from the VFC program, which is a vaccine for children program. So that means that there are tens of thousands of children out there right now who are behind on their childhood immunizations. That is very concerning to us as pediatricians because we do not want to see vaccination rates fall to the level that it would allow for some of these other vaccine-preventable diseases to start rising again, such as measles or whooping cough, um, which is pertussis, or certain types of meningitis that we do have uh, vaccinations to prevent. Uh, Do you know why uh, we might have seen such a drop in vaccinations? Because if I remember correctly, Mississippi schools require vaccines. That's right. Mississippi has traditionally... Uh, been number one in the nation in kindergarten vaccination rates, which is wonderful. And consequently, we have not had a case of measles in over 20 years. But during the pandemic, early on in particular, we were encouraging people to stay home, to avoid going to the doctor, to avoid getting out when it wasn't necessary. So understandably so, a lot of families skipped those checkups. And since then, really, we've seen a lot of the focus of the COVID pandemic um, applying to adults. And so in some instances, we're just concerned that children are getting left behind. A report from Blue Cross Blue Shield said that 40% um, of those surveyed reported that they had missed well-child checkups in the last year. So we are missing vaccinations on our kids, but we're also missing other screenings, developmental screenings, depression screenings, school screenings. So we really are trying to encourage families to pay attention, think about whether they had a checkup for their child in the last year. And if not, go ahead and call and get an appointment with your pediatrician now. And like you mentioned, uh, early early messaging was saying like, hey, stay home to stay safe. But um, parents might be asking, is it safe? is it safe now to go get these checkups? We are doing so much in our office now, just as all offices are. Um, We have checkups that come in certain times of day. So sometimes you might have, some offices might have well babies in the morning, sick visits in the afternoon. At my clinic, we continue to keep 
stick patients in cars until they're actually ready to go straight into a room. So we do not have sick patients in waiting rooms. So we were really doing a lot of cleaning in between. Everyone wears a mask. Um, the sanitary protocols are heightened during the pandemic. So, yes, we believe it is very safe for you to get back into the office for those routine screenings and routine vaccinations. And now parents that have put off vaccinations, are they might be curious, is it too late to go ahead and get those now? It's not too late. Um, even if you're behind on shots, you do not have to restart a series. Um, in other words, you just pick up where you've left off. Um, we are also very encouraged that the COVID vaccine uh, has been open to all people ages 16 and up here in Mississippi. So I would certainly encourage parents who have children 16 and up to get that COVID vaccine for their um, teenager. That would help them not only prevent disease in their teenager or college student, but it's also going to help prevent disruption. What, what I mean by that is, say your um, high school football team is exposed to COVID or your cheer um, team or your um, debate team. If you have been vaccinated, if the majority of the students in those classes and in those um, groups have been vaccinated, they may not have to quarantine and disrupt um, their classroom schedule or their sports schedule as we have seen for the last year. In your opinion, what do you think that um, could come out of this if, uh, because of uh, low vaccination rates for a, a bunch of diseases that have not often been seen in Mississippi? Um, do you think that that could have a, a rise in those diseases in the state in the in the coming uh, weeks to months to years? If we see vaccination rates drop below that 95% threshold, which is required for some of these diseases to maintain um, herd immunity or com community Im immunity, if we see those rates drop before, below 95%, we could see a resurgence of whooping cough, of meningitis, of measles, and we do not want to see a rise in those vaccine-preventable diseases when we have vaccines available right now. Well, Dr. Henderson, is there anything else we might not have touched on that uh, you feel the need to echo for Mississippians? I would just remind parents that um, vaccine-preventable diseases are out there. Um, we want to protect our children um, from all these diseases, and the best way they can do that is to get them in for a checkup, get them up to date on their shots in order to prevent things like measles, mumps, whooping cough, um, meningitis. We want to protect our kids in every way possible. Dr. Anita Henderson is president of the Mississippi chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Henderson, thank you for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me today. Coming up in our book club, stories from Natchez and Richard Grant's latest book, The Deepest South of All. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. At Issue takes you to the Mississippi Capitol every week as lawmakers debate and discuss the issues. This Medicaid thing is really on my mind. This is the biggest vote we're going to cast this session. I believe that all people have a right to vote, and some of us have had many struggles trying to do just that. If you agree to come teach in a Mississippi school, we will pay down your student loan debt. The policies that we stand for are right. Watch At Issue Friday nights at 7.30 on MPB TV. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. 
If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Richard Grant was born in Malaysia, lived in Kuwait as a boy, and moved to London. Then he moved to New York and from there to Mississippi. The travel writer lived in the tiny town of Pluto and wrote the acclaimed book, Dispatches from Pluto. Now, the city of Natchez is Grant's focus in his new book, The Deepest South of All, True Stories from Natchez, Mississippi, in this week's book club with Karen Brown. I decided within within about two or three hours of being there that I wanted to write a book about Natchez. The first thing I saw on the way into town was the Forks of the Road Slave Market Memorial. I had no idea that the second largest slave market in the South was in Natchez. And then you've got more antebellum mansions than anywhere else in the South, also in Natchez. And then I found out that there was two garden clubs that had been feuding since the 1930s. And then... I started to meet a lot of eccentric characters, and I found out that the mayor was a gay black man who'd won with 90-something percent of the vote. And I was like, what, what is going on down here? <laughs> well, what is this place, and, and, and how did it get this way? And I started reading a lot of books about it and really became intrigued with, with matches. Also, just really like going down there and spending time with the people. The slave market, as you mentioned, I mean, talk about a dark, tragic past for a community. How does the past inform the present in Natchez? Heavily. I think I think more heavily than in, in, in most places. The whole town was founded on slave trade. I mean, the sale and purchase of enslaved people and, you know, cotton that was grown with enslaved labor. And most of those mansions that people love to visit you know, were mostly built by slaves. So that it's got this... For me, it's the, the the shadow of slavery is is heavy there, and also since the town has largely been dependent on tourism for its revenue, it's been tackling these these questions of how do we deal with our past. For, for generations, the town kind of didn't present any of its African American history to visitors, and kind of quietly tried to pretend that slavery hadn't really existed or hadn't been that bad, and it was this kind of gone with the wind of the old south but Natchez sold very successfully for a long time but in the last I don't know 15 years or so Natchez has been trying to really get to grips with its history and how do we encourage visitors to come here and and be honest about our history at the same time and there's a lot of different kind of initiatives underway there's a lot of conversations have been underway uh, we, we now have placards which is the first step at the forks of the road but I think the National Park Service is, is going to do something there. There's a Black History Museum. The garden clubs are now including Black History in their pilgrimage tours. I mean, I was down there before the whole monument toppling started happening elsewhere. And a lot of the conversations I, I heard about African-American history and heritage, and they were, they were happening in Natchez before they were happening in the rest of the country. True stories from Natchez, Mississippi. Is the book set up as individual stories or is it all woven together? It's all woven together. I wove together an account of my own experiences there with the garden clubs, with African-American activists, with anything that I kind of got into while I was down there that I thought was interesting that I wrote about. And then the second thing that I interwove through the story was an account of this 
enslaved West African prince who was in Natchez and who wound up at the White House and going back to Africa. And I met some of his descendants while I was in Natchez. I wove that story throughout the book. It kind of dovetails one one chapter present day and then one chapter recounting this man's life. He was a slave in Natchez? Yeah. He was captured in battle in West Africa and sold down the Gambia River and then sold across the Atlantic and then taken from New Orleans upriver to Natchez where he was sold again as a, as a slave to a young man called Thomas Foster. He ended up kind of running Foster's plantation for him and became invaluable. He told Foster and other people that he was a prince and then you know, his family would pay a great ransom for, for his release. But nobody took him seriously. And then they found out that his story was true. And then Foster still refused to sell him because he'd become so invaluable at running this very profitable cotton plantation. And eventually, yeah, the White House interceded and uh, President John Quincy Adams received Ibrahima, that was his name, at the White House. And he got sent back with his wife to Africa. And he actually died in, in Liberia. That's an incredible story. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that's the main reason why I put it in there. I just couldn't get over it. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> this book is called The Deepest South of All, True Stories from Natchez, Mississippi. And we've been speaking with its author, Richard Grant. Thank you so much. This is fascinating. All right. Thank you, Karen. Coming up, the arrival of spring usually brings visitors to the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We examine how the region fared last vacation season as the new one approaches. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. While it may be unseasonably cool this April morning, the spring month usually marks the beginning of a bustling tourism season for the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Casinos in the region temporarily shut down this time last year, and the mitigation efforts against the coronavirus led to a decline in hotel occupancy. But Milton Segura, CEO of Coastal Mississippi, says despite the obstacles, the region fared better than other parts of the nation during the pandemic. He tells our Karen Brown the coast is ready to welcome visitors. We will continue promoting, you know, that it's safe to come to coastal Mississippi. We will encourage people to continue following and observing all the precautions that are in place by the state and obviously by our vendors, for example, casinos or independent uh, vendors, stores, restaurants, venues. Uh, that I think that brings an additional level of comfort and certainty to the visitors coming to coastal Mississippi. And I think that's why you'll see a different wave of visitors coming to coastal Mississippi and not seeing um, out-of-control uh, crowds or, or places that certainly at this particular juncture does not um, add to a good experience in the, in while you're on vacations. 
in the lifting of the mask mandates by the governor and more and more Mississippians getting vaccines, are you seeing a steady increase in visitors to the coast? The answer is, is we've been, when you compare, and this is very important, when you compare the trend in the nation in terms of how visitors are behaving, the consumer patterns, the, the, the where are they going, we're seeing that our trends are much, much stronger and superior than the national average in terms of number of visitors, in terms of occupancy, in terms of the rate they are paying. That doesn't mean that we are better than last year or 2019. But when you compare to the, when you compare what we're seeing across the region and across the nation, the trends that we're seeing for coastal Mississippi are extremely encouraging. And we believe if those trends remain or continue that way, we should be recovering a little bit more faster than the rest of the nation or some other key competitors in the region. And of course, recovery is the key word. Tell us about the last year and the difficulties and the economic impact and how that's affected the Gulf. Well, um, it's key to, to mention that in average, um, the nation, U.S. As a, as, a, as a destination, as the industry, the, the travel spending for the nation was 40% less than 2019. In coastal Mississippi, and Mississippi, as a matter of fact, it was 20%. So we were ahead of the game. In coastal Mississippi, when you compare the um, occupancy, it was in many in many instances around 10% less than previous year, which means 2019, when the nation was between 20 or 22% behind. So uh, as you can see, even though we were behind, we were pacing better than most of the others. Well, Milton, your enthusiasm about the coast certainly uh, garners the title CEO of Coastal Mississippi, Milton Segarra, and I thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure and um, always available for you. Thank you so much for your call. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.